You're listening to the Law and Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the difficult questions where business and the law intersect to help you run a smarter business and avoid costly mistakes. Brought to you by Verna Law PC, a full-service law firm focusing on patents, trademarks, copyrights, domain names, and advertising law. For more information, call 914-908-6757 or send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com for more information. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Law and Business Podcast, the least creatively named podcast out there. <laughs> We're coming to you from Chatter in D.C. Uh, Mark Stern recording us. Mark, thank you for recording us. It's great to see you, Anthony. It's great to see you, too. We are with Connie Steele. How are you doing, Connie? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming. You uh, are the owner of Flywheel Associates, as well as the St- Strategic Momentum Podcast, which is easier to write than to say, obviously. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your marketing consultancy and what philosophy you have, because you call it agile marketing. Mm-hmm, I do. And, and I'm very curious as to what that, that means, because it sounds like it's more than just a, a marketing philosophy. Absolutely. So um, I guess to start a little bit about the business, we are a business strategy. Yeah, let's operation. start at the beginning. I like that. Sure. We are a business strategy, marketing, and operations consultancy. We're based in the D.C. metro area. Um, our clients range from um, really Fortune 500 companies as well as small to mid-sized growth businesses across different industries, um, really, but... We focus on this common purpose of helping to bring to life a strategic initiative for okay. them. And you know the way we do that is by connecting strategy to execution um, in order to really deliver that time to value. And in order to create that time to value, it comes down to being agile in the way that we fundamentally work. Which so, means... Which means it's about having this test and learn. I'm I'm a lawyer. I'm going to lead you. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) And I'm a former researcher. I'm used to being leading the other person. Um, It's about having this test and learn mindset as well as a collaborative working approach. Because I think a lot of times in business, it's been this big bang approach. Let's be perfect from the beginning, or we're going to take weeks and weeks to make it right and tweak it, and then we're going to show it to the client, or then we're going to present in whatever fashion. And you know what? A lot happens yes. during that time. And you're never going to get it right. There's no such thing as perfection. So the key thing is deliver something that has value as quickly as possible. Let somebody to re- let your client react to it, because they don't know the answer. They need to see something to better understand what it is that you're producing. There's always going to be a bit of uncertainty in a marketing strategy, isn't there? Absolutely. I think in anything, whether it's a marketing strategy, a business strategy, you know, my my husband who's partner in this company, he does operations as well. Sure. Folks don't always know what the outcome is going to be. They have an idea. There's a vision. There's a business goal. But what exactly that looks like, hard to say. So so what are some of the business goals that, that your clients are looking for? Because you can have a business goal and, and have different ways of getting there. Mm-hmm. One is I need to build my brand. Right? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I hate that phrase. As an intellectual property lawyer, I hate the phrase I need to build my brand. But that's the words that they'll say. I know. What does that really mean? Building brand ties to, you know what? I need to drive more revenue. I need to create more engagement for my business. But maybe, you know, what I'm doing right now is 
I'm not messaging them appropriately. My value proposition isn't there or maybe the way I look and feel just doesn't resonate with them. So I think it just means I need a rebrand. So I'll do a <laughs> rebrand. Um, many times I actually hear clients say that, you know, I just don't think, you know, our messaging is quite right. So we're not selling in the most efficient sure. way possible. And it's never a messaging problem. It's it gets down to a value proposition problem, which gets down to what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your business? What, what's your strategy? What do you what are you trying to achieve? Right. So it, it ladders all the way up to again, what is the fundamental business objective, and and how does that line to kind of that strategic vision that you have? You, you know, and that's and that really does remind me of a lot of the a lot of the first conversations that I need to have with my clients. You know, client comes to me and says, "Hey, I've got this. I've got this great great brand. We've got to register the trademark." And I go, what's your business plan? Without that knowledge, without having a business conversation with my clients, I can't help them get to an intellectual property valuation. That is something that can be protected. And somebody somebody comes to me and says, I've got a great invention. Okay, good. You can get a patent for it. What's your business plan? Because I can't leave my clients in the lurch either. I mean, it happens. Don't get me wrong, because sometimes, you know, sometimes, of course, not everything connects. But I got to know from my clients that they're that they're committed to the business as well. So from what I'm hearing is that they just assume by having this great idea (laughs) that they could patent it or they can get a trademark for it with really nothing behind any of it. Uh, There are a lot of people who, who think that. And 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 look, there there are a lot of stats out there that get floated around in intellectual property. One of them, and I still don't know how true it is, is that 95% of patents do not make any money for the owner. Now, a lot of that comes from, you know, companies like like IBM and Google, uh, Microsoft, that just file a lot of patents. And um, even today it was reported that Toyota uh, filed a patent for a system to wash the bed of a, of a pickup truck. So that basically all you have to do is plug a hose into the truck and then your bed gets washed. I can't imagine that that's going to be a practical addition <laughs> to to a truck that's going to, to make money. But there are patents out there that get filed and then they don't make money. <laughs> and, and a lot of people don't don't necessarily realize that. So I have to have that conversation. What's your business plan? Well, similar to us, you know, we have to finally ask the question, some of these basic things that tie to the business plan – who are you even going after? Who's your audience? And maybe people can't really answer the question well. It's it's so surfacey. Um, it doesn't really tie to you know what will move them forward. So that's when you can start poking holes at that. Sure. And then when they mention, oh well, we have this great name or thing that we want to trademark, right? Well, then how does that actually build any value? For what it is you stand for? Because one, if you're not clear on what your value proposition is, um, because you don't know who you're targeting, how in the world can you then trademark something that means anything to anyone? Correct. No, that that's absolutely correct. So, in talking about what is 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 this philosophy of agile marketing that you have, are you helping your clients with multiple platforms, and? When you see different social media platforms, how do their customers interact differently on those social media platforms? So I think maybe the way to address that um, is probably starting off. Yeah, with, I probably asked a loaded, too loaded of a question there. But, 
<laughs> it's big and broad, but that's okay. I get these questions from clients too, that you're, they're huge and lofty and you have to just boil it down to its parts, starting maybe in agile fashion, starting small, right? Um, but, you know, I think so much of it, if I were to walk through the process, maybe that's the best way to convey this philosophy is that, one, what is the goal, right? And, and um, what is the definition of that goal that you're trying to achieve? But it's not just that articulation. It's who are all the people that are involved in helping you define that goal. Sure. Which many times can be the inhibitor to moving forward on anything. So regardless of the platform that you want to promote on, regardless of the strategy that you want to um, develop or maybe a project that you're trying to move forward, what is it you're trying to do? And making sure all those people who are involved, whether it's product, it's legal, it's it's the marketing people, it's operations, but have they have the same common vision, or the goal, and then the vision alignment? What are you trying to do to get there? And then from there, have they been communicating and collaborating to ensure that you're on the same page, but then you start building it. So say once you have clarity that you realize the goal is to drive um, engagement as quickly as possible among a particular audience, and many of them happen to be on social, then that's where you're going to be. You realize Facebook is that platform. Great. So what kind of campaign are we going to do? What is that campaign meant to do, right? Okay, we're going to target these people to drive engagement. How are you going to measure engagement? Fabulous. So you've defined all that. Everybody's talked about all that. You've got a plan. Now let's make sure we constantly communicate and collaborate along the way so that we're not sending mixed signals because that's what happens many times. You sure. start going into it and, you know, you go off the rails. Do, do, do you measure engagement differently? Because when somebody says to, says to you that they want more sales, like, what does engagement mean in that particular case? Like, yes, it's great to get Facebook's likes. It's great to get retweets. It's great to get the hearts on Instagram. But but how does that relate back to actually building, you know, building more sales then? But that's where you have to then look at what it is they've done in the past. Um, how has that created any opportunity for revenue for sure. them? And also, but understanding the medium itself, because a lot of times in social, social doesn't always have a direct tie to revenue. Correct. Some do, <laughs> maybe if you're lucky, if you're Kylie Jenner <laughs> and you're lucky, but social hasn't had that direct direct link to driving revenue. And I think a lot of the problems that you see is that many people assume that the coolest, newest marketing channels immediately can pay off and right. drive towards this big bang of money, right? And it just, it doesn't. <laughs> so there isn't this fundamental understanding of the medium itself and what it can do for you based on the business goal that you're trying to achieve. So that's why you need to start off very clearly. What's the goal definition? And what is that platform going to do for you? And make sure everybody's on the same page. Otherwise, if you say, yeah, there's engagement. Okay, that sounds good. We're all in agreement. Everybody's going to have a different measurement yes. of what engagement is. But if you've mapped that out clearly from the beginning, then that will help you down the line. I think the other thing, too, that gets people stuck. So say you have all that. Say you've been communicating. What happens is people get stuck. They're like, well, are we going to start? Are we not going to start? Just do something. It right. doesn't have to be perfect. Because things happen so quickly. So build it. See if it'll work. Throw it out there. You could test it. You could tweak it. It's fine. I mean, look, in, in today's world, a lot of times you do throw things out there and see if it sticks. But then you test it, measure it, and then ultimately, you know what? You have to adapt and evolve. But sure. it's never perfect from the beginning. And I think a lot of people have that 
traditional style of marketing in their head. Traden- traditional sequential waterfall. <laughs> so you think of product wow, development. That's a, that's, a, that's a phrase. What does that mean? So a lot of this um, really stems from having worked in technology and the way traditional software products were built was this waterfall approach. It is you get all the requirements, everybody's all aligned, and you put everything together, and you just build this one big thing, and it might take a year or two years, so it's version 1.0, and then version 2.0, but it takes years to get it out there. Now, if you think about how you get your software products today, everything's an update. It's a perpetual beta. Yes. So if you were to think about (laughs) As as somebody with a bachelor's in computer science, (laughs) yes, I know very well. (laughs) That was my former life (laughs) a long time ago. Well, but if you think about, you know, the products and services you use today, the digital products and services that you use today, things are in a perpetual beta. So you know it's going to be constantly updated. So you get that first version and you're playing with it. It works, right? There's certain things that work. but may not be perfect it might be buggy but then you know something else is coming that's going to make it better and they're probably going to add on a few more things to it so if you take that mentality that let's get something out there see if it works see if it sticks or this is your best guess on what you believe are the right things but based on people using it because you're really not going to know until people try it um it's a real world focus group yeah no can you give an example of of you know a a campaign where maybe uh, the whole thing didn't work, but but part A, you know, part A worked, part B, you know, part of it worked, part of it didn't, and you, then you're able to emphasize the part that worked and and adjust what didn't work. Um, you know, actually, let me give you an example versus maybe a campaign, but let me okay. just talk about, I think, a creative process. Understood. Um, so you know, we have clients where a lot of times they want to talk about. A case study, right? They want to show how successful they've been. And we had this um, software product development company where you know they develop really compelling stuff. But it's not that they build the product. It's about right. the way they do it. I think that's how people differentiate themselves many times these days is the way they do it. So versus um, doing a very traditional, like, okay, let me write a document. Here you go. Let's read it. <laughs> you know. People aren't really absorbing stuff in that way. So let's do it as a video. So typically, write a script. Yes. Everybody approves a script. Yes. Then you start building it. Yes. And then you're good to go. But everybody needs to approve the script. But you know what? If it's all in written text, depending on who reads the script, everybody's going to have a different opinion, right? As, as, as a lawyer who has approved scripts and has crossed things out of scripts, I certainly have my own opinions as to what should be in there and what shouldn't. Correct. And this also will tie to even developing campaigns as well. So I start with this first for a reason. Um, So you're editing, you edit, somebody else edits, everybody edits, but then you lose the whole point of it, right? And so you're editing, you're editing, and what happens is you're spending all this money for somebody to do this work. Yes. It's not efficient. Correct. But the thing is, you haven't put it in context because everybody's waiting for the perfect words before going into development. So a lot of it, is realizing that this is not working. So what do you have to do? You have to put in context, but you're not going to spend all this time and money to create those assets such that, oh, I need to have the pretty picture that goes with these words to make sure it's done. We sketched it. We know what the idea is. We're Mm -hmm. literally sketching these, you call it wireframes, or it's these different frames of a bit of the story. This is what it could look like. It contextualized everything and literally just stuck it up on the wall 
to see if it made sense. So <laughs> the client is editing, moving things around. But you know what? You're getting a much faster time to value on what it is that they're trying to communicate. You're catching Understood. things that you wouldn't have. Um, and in that course, like then you have an idea. Of these are the kind of visuals you start building. And then when you throw in the next piece of audio, listening to that voice, because right. you don't even know what the tempo is or the right um, voiceover that you want. But you're breaking down each of those pieces, but you're putting in constantly. You're not doing a perfect job. It doesn't really matter. You're giving the client an idea of what it is they want because they don't know. So what you're doing is you're minimizing risk throughout the process. You're ensuring that you're getting alignment um, from all those key stakeholders that are involved. Okay. And at the end, you're going to get a much better product so that everybody's really happy with it versus I did it all. You show it to them. They're like, I hate it. It sucks. <laughs> Why? Which is, which and they is, can't explain it. Which is a very traditional model. Here's the campaign that we that we put together. What do you think? Right. Right. And so in a any advertising kind of campaign format, there are so many different factors that go into it. The creative. Sure. So it could be the picture. It could be the copy. It could be the placement. It could be all those things. So if you don't do a couple of different iterations and just throw it out there and try – then how are you going to know it may or may not work? Because everybody's got a different opinion of what the ideal um, creative and campaign or really asset would look like I that mean, would lead to a campaign. I mean, it's it's much more than, than A-B testing. It's more like no. A-B-C-D-E testing. To some degree, yeah. Yeah, you could look at it that way. Um, you have to think of all the different... I'm a programmer and a lawyer. Of course, I'm going <laughs> to think of it like that. Right. The systems approach, right? I'm a nerd. Come on. <laughs> um. You know, the short of it is that you have to make sure that everybody's on the same page. It's pretty simple. Make sure everybody's on the same page and what is it you're trying to do and let people see the sausage making from the beginning. And if they see what goes into it, then they are bought into the process. They understand probably how hard it can be because sure. many times they don't. Right. I think everybody has a perspective on marketing or other people's disciplines that it can't be that hard. And that's not true, right? There's a lot that goes into everybody's skill and expertise, but it's not always appreciated. So when you can sort of unveil that, but show that there is a systematic approach to how you're thinking about it, the agile way is a great way to do that. In, in a way, I think a lot, of, um, a lot of clients of marketing agencies go to the marketing agency to say, you've got to have the most certain way of doing this. And, and in a way, you're saying that's not really how, in today's world, you can put together a marketing campaign. No. I think there's an expectation. But the reality is there is a lot of testing and learning and trying behind yes. the scenes. So they start off that way. They have tons of different concepts. But they've picked and chosen which ones to show mm -hmm. to the client. So they're making a judgment call. Yes. Based on the amount of information they have um, for them. But the thing is, depending on who that account person is, do they know that client that well to anticipate <laughs> what it is they want? Some are great. Some are not. The other issue is that the client themselves may not be able to articulate what it is they want. So there's imperfect information. So if you know that you're dealing with imperfect information, then you're making some assumptions based on imperfect information. Sure. So you're increasing that risk, um, essentially, of delivering what it is that person wants. I, I have a, a potential client that I've been speaking to who said, said to me recently, I developed this product for girls. But it turns out a lot of boys aged 8 to 12 like this product. 
And I'm really baffled by that. And, and you know, I'm not the marketer. They didn't do their homework. <laughs> That's what I could say. They I'm didn't do their the, homework about I'm, this product. I'm not, the, I'm not the marketer, so it's kind of hard for me to do that. But, yeah, so, so how can a company do its homework better so that they can match up their product to their consumers a lot better rather than what's perceived? Because I think a lot of companies, uh, when the product is out in the marketplace, have a different market than maybe what is perceived, a lot of smaller companies. Well, I wonder if a lot of these small companies just assume I have this great product um, and I believe it's targeted towards these people. So right. as such, that's my hypothesis. I've never tested it out. I've never talked to anybody. It's my gut. So, of course, you're going to have a different um, outcome. If you haven't started from the beginning to understand the customer first and foremost and then to figure out the right product and solution that fits them, then you don't understand marketing. You don't understand building a customer-oriented offering. So it is, one, if you have an idea, and maybe you have the product, fine. Maybe you haven't done a lot of work on it, but go out and talk to the intended audience to learn if it even resonates. Some of it is not needing to do these big surveys. I think a lot of people assume, oh, if I need to do market research, that means I need to do a lot of these studies. I, I, was, uh, going, no. I was going to say, so, so what kind of studies, if it's not a big, gigantic study, are, are you thinking of? It literally is just calling someone on the phone or having a face-to-face kind of like we are and asking you a a, a couple of simple questions um you know if you have an idea that it is for girls i don't know 10 to 15 right there's some profile there but ask those questions so what is the need one what is the need that you're Mm -hmm. trying to fulfill you have to start there um or understanding what are the problems that they're having in the particular space that this product is in right so sure what challenges are you having? Whatever it may be, um, understanding what that is, and then once you've identified those challenges, well, you know, what solutions have you come up with to address them to begin with on your own? That should tell you a lot right there. And then you can even give them the product, have them react right there, and there they will tell you if they like it or don't like it. That unto itself isn't very hard, and I, you you interview five ten people, sure. you can get a lot. I had this situation one time where. Uh, in the middle of a, of a settlement of a trademark infringement suit, uh, effectively we were going to set up a license so that the other side would have paid my client for a license to, to use the trademark. And and my client said, well, I don't even know what their products look like. How do I know it's not hurting my brand to give them this license? And I said, good point. So they sent us uh, some samples. And my client looked at it and said, well, they seem okay. And I said, well, okay is not 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 uh, that's not really lovely to me. I want to hear that you love what you're going to be getting money for. And just as a double check, I took the product and I went to all of the grandparents in my neighborhood <laughs> because we're dealing with shoes. And I said, what do you think of these shoes? Would you buy these? Because because when I was younger, yes, my parents bought shoes, but my grandparents took me out to the mall just as much as my parents did. So I found all the grandparents in my neighborhood. And I said, what do you think? And they went, yeah, maybe like as kind of like a shoot a, you know, fool around in, but not as something like, like nah, my kids would, my grandkids would never wear these for like, you know, after school and, and real sports, <laughs> you know? So boom, I just went around to the grandparents. Yeah. It's just as simple as that. I think what a lot of people do when they say they know their consumer, um, it's just a descriptive type of profile that they have. So age, um, 
you know, uh, gender, um, maybe some income and profession, just high level information. That is not predictive in any way of anybody's motivation to buy. So it really starts with understanding what are those drivers of behavior. So know what their attitudes are towards your product. Know what their general interests are of that category, too. So attitudes, interests, and then emotions are a big, big factor in whether or not you're likely to engage with something, right? Um, Actually, what's interesting is that there's this fabulous psychologist um, who has spent her whole career studying emotions and its impact on adults, kids, and teens. And she said emotions are really the critical factor in driving behavior because when you have an emotion, you have a feeling. Yes. From that feeling, you have a thought, right? And that thought is then what causes you to act. So your emotions are the things that help you appraise and experience and help you then consider your action. And that's what people have to think about, is that you never do something, buy something, behave in some way, because, oh, it's just because of the thing that's top of mind. There's always something that's much deeper, and you have to get to that. So this is where having that face-to-face conversation, where you can ask those questions of why, why behind, what do you think about this? Well, why? Why do you think that way? It's, It's this laddering that you have to do to get to the real driver that's where you can understand the motivation, but clearly that person didn't do their homework. <laughs> Connie, uh, we're running out of time, so why don't you tell us about the Strategic Momentum Podcast and how to find it? Absolutely. So the Strategic Momentum Podcast, um, it's where we share tips, stories, and advice from progressive leaders on how to break through that business inertia that all of us have faced all the time, um, and really to propel you know you as well as your business forward. So it's all about helping you reach your full growth potential. Um, we are on all the major podcast platforms on Spotify, iTunes, or I should say Apple Podcasts, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> Stitcher Radio, <laughs> um, Google Play, um, and and we can also find it on my website at flywheelassociates.com slash podcast. Connie Steele the principal of Flywheel Associates. Thank you so much for, for spending this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> me too. Take care. This has been the Law & Business Podcast. Visit VernaLaw.com for more episodes. To contact Verna Law PC, send an email to anthony at VernaLaw.com or call 914-358-6401.